0: Coming up, who won that Luke Weaver for Emmanuel Rivera trade? Could this be Lovello's final season? And should the D-backs enter the Otani sweepstakes? Discussing all that next. You are Locked On Diamondbacks, your daily Arizona Diamondbacks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into the Locked On Diamondbacks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day listening to who? The always charismatic host of this podcast, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, millerthomas 24 On there, you can see all my latest work, from my packages to my articles, to my photos and my graphic design. If, if you want to see more content by me, just follow me on Twitter at CreatorThomas24 for my personal mm-hmm. account, or just look up Locked On Dimebacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Locked on Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. It's free and available on all platforms, so please continue to tell your friends. I got a whole bunch I want to talk to you guys about today, but I first want to start here, talk about Tori Lovello and potentially could this be his final season? And a quick shout out to my YouTube channel, Locked on Diamondbacks, because I don't want to forget to mention it. Follow us on YouTube, Locked on Diamondbacks. But now, let's get into the crux of the podcast because I want to discuss could this be Torrey Lovello's final season? Oh, farewell season for Lovello because Bob Nightingale of USA Today recently came out with an article just detailing some managers that could also be on the hot seat after the Chris Woodward of the Rangers getting fired. And one of those names on Nightingale's Hot seatless was Toy Lovello. So I want to ask the question: could this be his final season? And whether this is Toy Lavello's final season or not, I think it depends on two questions. How do the D-backs finish the year, and how do the young players look to finish the year? Because the team currently looks pretty good in the second half of the season. I'm recording this at 9 o'clock at night on Tuesday, so the D-backs just beat the Kansas City Royals. So I believe they're now two games above 500 in the second half. So a very good, very strong, very positive half. Very positive second half of baseball for the D-backs is some of it against... Mediocre competition? Sure, but it's like if we beat the Giants in the series, like I'm not gonna just consider that mediocre competition. That was a hundred plus win team last year. So if the D-Backs whoop up the Giants, which they've been doing all season, I think that's gonna be pretty impressive because not like the D-Backs um are world beaters. So when the D-Backs beat someone in a series, it's not like they're an elite team themselves. So they can play to anybody's competition. So I do like it when the D-Backs beat the teams that people consider mediocre, the teams that they should beat. I do like when the D-backs take care of business there like they did tonight against the Kansas City Royals. And the D-backs, you know, finish the year strong, then maybe Torrey Lavello could bottle up some of that momentum and sell it as a leverage point as to why he should be kept. Because I think his biggest selling point, or excuse me, maybe his second biggest selling point is continued, continuity. continuity. I always struggle to say that word. Continuity, I always have to like say it in my head before I say it out loud because, out loud, when I say it before thinking about it, it always comes out weird. Like the first attempt at me saying it today, but continuity and team chemistry, I think are Lavello's biggest selling points, or excuse me, second biggest selling points if this team, um, continues to produce in the second half of the season because this team continues to impress in the second half of the season and then maybe he could convince the front office that he's just giving them a glimpse into the future of next year because that's going to be super important if he wants to stick around. How do you finish this year? Can you convince the front office what happened at the end of this year could be carried into next year? That's going to be a big selling point for Toy Lovello if he wants to stay for next season. But speaking of the future of Next year and the future of the D backs, the other biggest selling point as to whether Toy LaVello could stay or not is whether or not the young players develop and they look really good in the second half of the season. Because so far, players like Jake McCarthy, Stone Garrett, Josh Rojas look really good in the second half of the season. I mean, we've talked about Jake McCarthy a lot on this podcast recently because he's just been killing it in the month of August. Stone Garrett as well, so has Josh Rojas. So I believe the second biggest selling point for Toy Lovello is team continuity and team chemistry. But I believe the biggest selling point as to why he should be brought back next season in terms of Toy Lovello's perspective is he makes the case that You look at the second half, you look at all those young players, and you look at how they're being developed, how they're being treated, and you're seeing how they progress as the season goes on, like the Jake McCarthy, Stone Garrett, and Josh Rojas. I think that would be the other selling point for Toy Lovello. I can keep the momentum I built at the end of the second half and continue that into next season, along with the development that we saw with the players. Those would be two pretty big selling points for Toy Lovello if that was to happen. But they're just... I just don't really believe, personally, this is where I give my take, I just don't really believe in Toy Lavello as a player development manager overall, because you just look at some of the players that Toy Lavello have, I mean, it's not like Dalton Varsho and Carson Kelly have exactly taken the next leap like we've hoped, like, I still believe Dalton Varsho could be an all-star level outfielder, still believe Carson Kelly could be, you know, a slugging catcher, potentially an all-star, but do I believe those guys can hit their ceiling under Toy Lavello? I'm not too sure about that. Players like Alec Thomas have gone worse offensively. And it's just being used so sporadically throughout the lineup. Like, how many times have we complained as D-backs fans on Twitter, on this podcast? Like, stop batting Alec Thomas 7th, I believe. I would have to look at the numbers really quickly. But I believe Alec Thomas, if you look at his splits, he's actually a better um, position player when he's batting ahead in the lineup. Like, near the top of the lineup as opposed to near the bottom of the lineup. I'm going to pull it up right here. Alec Thomas, when he's batting second in 32 games, the most games of any position in the lineup he's batted this year, 258 average, 704 OPS, nothing great, right? Nothing elite, but you just compare it to when he's batting seventh the second most times in the lineup he bats, 24 games batting seventh. 191 average 574 OPS so he hasn't been elite when batting second but he's been way better than batting seventh and I just don't like the uh the philosophy of sitting down or moving your better younger players down in the lineup just because of the splits like that's my biggest issue with Toilovello he care he just cares too much about the splits like The Davinsky's of the world, the Hummels, the Luplos, like I do not care about those people. Those guys should not be in the lineup or out the bullpen just because of a split or a metric, just because Luplo, you know, historically kills left-handed pitching. He should be in the lineup against a left-handed pitcher. Well, most times that should be true, but it shouldn't be. Every time it shouldn't be every time there's a lefty on the mound, automatically luplo's in the lineup, especially when Luplo's batting like 165. Like, you gotta add some context. It's not just Luplo kills left-handed pitching. Like, what is he actually doing overall on the season? What are other players in the lineup doing against left-handed pitching? Are there left-handed batters actually on a hot streak against against left-handed pitching? Like, I think all that stuff matters and all that plays into development. And the way Toy Lovello um, implements his lineups and implements those young players in those lineups. I just do not like it. I'm not a huge fan of it. I think it's hard for those players in Toy Lovello's, um, lineups to progress and, and succeed because you just don't know how much playing time you're getting day to day. You don't know what your role is day to day. And I think that's tough on a young guy. And when I just look at the history of young guys under Toy Lovello, like who under Toy Lovello has really popped? I mean, Think about all the players from the Zach Granke trade. You can say Rojas is pop, but or Scott Kiss, Corbin Martin, Seth Beer. No. You look at that Paul Goldschmidt trade, Luke Weaver, Paul Goldschmidt, or Luke Weaver, Carson Kelly, 2019, look great. Since then, Luke Weaver's not even on the team anymore. Carson Kelly's in the midst of maybe his worst season offensively ever. Robbie Ray, you look at where he started versus how he finished. Then all of a sudden, he leaves and turns into a Cy Young ace. And then Kevin Ginkle, someone that I thought could be the close of the future back in 2019. And it's like now, this guy probably shouldn't even be on the major league level. So, personally, I've seen enough from Toy Lavello's development of players or lack thereof, but maybe he can still save his job with good play from the team and youngsters down the stretch. But for me, it's probably going to be a no go on, on Toy Lovello next season. Now, I want to talk about. I want to talk about whether the D-back should enter the Otani sweepstakes, but before we get there, I first have a very important message to say. You're hanging out with some friends, and you're putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. As the evening comes to an end and people start to head out, you think of calling for a ride. Nah, you live nearby. You can make it home okay. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyway? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up you lose your license, you lose your job, you total your car, you kill someone. Everyone knows about the risks of drunk driving. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that still doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. That's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. alright alright let's get back to the podcast and let's discuss whether the D-back should enter the excuse me I had a little bit of a burp there very disgusting let's discuss whether the D-back should enter the Shohei Otani sweepstakes. So what do you guys think as D-backs fans? Should the D-backs enter the Otani sweepstakes? You guys could hit me up on Twitter at careerthomas24 or at lockdowndimebacks to give me um, your insight because I'm curious to what you guys think um, about entering the Otani sweepstakes because I'm going to make a case as to why it should be a resounding yes. The D-backs enter the sweepstakes depending on the price. Depending on the price is the P- is the big... um cliffhanger in that sentence i don't know what i want to say there i feel like there's a certain word i should say there but depending on the price is the big hiccup in that sentence i don't know what i'm trying to say there but i think the d-back should enter the sweepstakes depending on the price because i think you should always enter sweepstakes for superstar players i'll get into that more later but the d-backs currently they, if they want to pull off an Otani trade, they definitely have the pieces to do it because the D-backs currently have the fifth best farm system according to Major League Baseball.com in all of baseball. They have three top 13 prospects. Guess what? They're the only ones in Major League Baseball that could say that. So the D-backs are absolutely loaded when it comes to top 100 prospects, when it just comes to a deep farm system. The D-backs have the players to um, put together to package to get Shohei Otani and I think there is a price I'd be willing to meet at the same time like I said the D-backs are not a ready-made team right now and I believe if a team was to acquire Shohei Otani the move should either make them a contender or put them over the top and I think the right package given up by the D-backs doesn't turn them into an instant contender all right I think the right package given up by the D-backs could make them a contender a season away. They could be a season away from being contender. That's why I believe they should... Go after Shohei Otani. The team isn't ready made for a championship right now, or World Series. But if you acquire Shohei Otani, then I believe the D-backs could be a season away. Some teams would be instant contenders, World Series favorites if they acquire Shohei Otani. Some teams, it'll just be the move that puts them over the top. Like if the Padres, like when the Padres acquired Juan Soto, like if the Padres were healthy the whole season, they were already going to be, uh, you know, a team that can make it to the World Series. And acquiring Juan Soto just puts them over the top. But A team like the D-backs acquiring Shohei Otani doesn't put us over the top. I think it could put us a season away, again, depending on the package. Because if you give up your whole farm system, then you're going to be more than a season away. But what is that package that I would be willing to give up for Shohei Otani, someone that is? Going to finish, what, top three, top four in Cy Young voting, top three, top four in MVP voting, someone that could get you 30-30, home runs and stolen bases, someone that could pitch a nine-inning gem with 10 strikeouts and two walks. Like, the man can do everything, and I would be willing to give up a lot for for Shohei Ohtani, but I would not be willing to give up the farm, and the package I would be willing to give up I will give up one of these three players, one of our 13 top prospects from Jordan Lawler, Drew Jones, or Corbin Carroll. I'll say angels. Guess what? Pick one of the prospects. And maybe I should say the reason why I'm having this conversation is because the angels announced today that their owner is willing to explore selling the team. I wish the D max owner would do the same because guess what? When you get new owner. You get new money. Look at the New York Mets, arguably the poorest team in baseball before Stephen Cohen, because Bernie Madoff, ran off with all their money they had to start borrowing from the league and they were piss poor and they weren't able to afford any big time players for a very long time they sell the team steven cohen comes in now all of a sudden the new york mets look like the best team in baseball with stars up and down their lineup and The D-backs, same could be said if they sell their team, but that is a different tangent for a different day. But the Angels look like they could be willing to sell their team, and that's why I'm all in on the Otani sweepstakes. And if I was to trade for him, like I said, you could have one of our top 13 prospects from Jordan Lawler, Drew Jones, or um, Corbin Carroll. Plus, you could have another two top 5 to 15 prospects. So like, you could have a, a Drew Jameson and a Ryan Nelson, and you could have another prospect in their 20s. So like, a Seth B or a J.B. Briskakis, any of those guys from the Zach Grinky trade. So I'm giving up about four prospects in total. And I'm also willing to give up a major league ready player like a Josh Rojas or Alec Thomas. So in total, you're getting like a Rojas or a Thomas plus, like, a Corbin Carroll or a Drew Jones, plus another Brandon Fat and Ryan Nelson, and you're also getting, like, a Seth Beer, like, I think that would be a pretty fat package if you're the Angels. You're definitely rebuilding. You're definitely getting guys and pieces in your lineup that could be future stars, that could fill in the shoes of a Mike Trout after he retires. And if you're the D-backs, like, That might sound like a lot. Like You can let me know, D-Backs fans, on Twitter. If you think that sounds like a lot, do you think it would take two of the top 13 prospects? I don't know, but if I can only give up one of the top 13 prospects for Shohei Otani, I'm definitely doing that because you can't forget about the value that Shohei Otani brings back to your team because... Otani, he's going to be the number two pitcher for the D-backs behind Zach Gallen, who is the ace of the staff, with Merrill Kelly as your number three, your rotation, your top three locked up, that looks like a solid playoff rotation from your top three, you just need to round out the rest, and maybe bring back like a Zach Davies and a Tommy Henry, I'm not even thinking about Madison Bumgarner, not even factoring him into this equation, and then that's just from the rotation. Don't forget about Otani the position player because think about this. This could still be the lineup you have if you do that package and bring in Otani. You could still have Marte, Christian Walker, Dalton Varsho, Kelly, and two of the three from Lawler, Jones, and Carroll. Like imagine this is your lineup. You're starting Corbin Carroll, then Jordan Lawler, then Keto Marte, then Otani, then Dalton Varsho, then Christian Walker, then Carson Kelly, Emmanuel Rivera, and Alec Thomas, that is an elite lineup. And guess what? That might not even be the best lineup that you can make because you can also do Marshall, Lawler, Marte, Drew Jones, Otani, Walker, Rivera, Kelly, and Rojas. Like, the possibilities are endless. And as long as I keep two of the top 13 prospects, like, I'm still adding two stars to my lineup plus a a Shohei Otani. I think the package would be worth it. I think the D-back slam would be nasty. And for the first time in Otani's career, he would have a complimentary ace in the rotation as well. And when you look at the front office at that point, All they would need to focus on adjust the bullpen. Mike Hazen, your job would become so much easier if you acquire Shohei Otani because he literally fills in two spots in your um, roster. And I think the lineup would be set. Like even if the D-backs don't acquire Shohei Otani, I think the D-backs lineup would be set in three to four years once Drew Jones is promoted with Lawler and Corbin Carroll. Like the D-backs, I think, are going to have one of the best lineups in baseball, despite. Uh, whether they have Otani or not. They have Otani in the lineup, I think it just puts the D-back slap over the edge a little bit more. Plus, you add him as a pitcher to that rotation. You really just got to focus on your bullpen at that point. And also, I also just want to give... Ketel Marte a running mate as well. Like Ketel Marte, he had Paul Goldschmidt for a little bit, but Ketel Marte really wasn't the Ketel Marte that we see now. So I think Ketel Marte would benefit from having another star in the lineup, not just all the pitchers focusing in on him in the lineup. I think it would be better protection for Marte in the lineup if he's batting third, and then you got like Otani fourth or something like that. So I would love to see that 1-2 combination get someone on Ketel Marte's timeline because most of the lineup is going to be pretty young. That roster would be pretty young with Shohei Otani, but Ketel Marte right there on the Otani timeline. So I absolutely love it if the D-backs could enter the Otani sweepstakes, but once again, it just depends on the package. Now... I want to discuss the Emmanuel Rivera for Luke Weaver trade and who won that deal. But if you want to bet on the D-backs acquiring Shohei Otani, you need to head to betonline.net because betonline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all your betting needs. Find all your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games. Find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for sports wagering information, from live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts. They have you covered. Head to BetOnline today, or use your mobile device to learn more about the action happening today. BetOnline, where the game starts. Let's get back to the podcast, and usually I take notes on Google Docs, but for segment number three, I'm pulling out the paper because I had to do pen and paper notes for segment number three because I was doing a little alumni panel for ASU at the Cronkite School, so I had to take some notes um, with pen and paper, didn't have a computer on me. So we're doing this old-fashioned way because in segment number three, I want to discuss who won that Luke Weaver for Emmanuel Rivera trade? I think most of us already know. I think if you watch game one against the Royals, you already know because Emmanuel Rivera had that ground rule double that scored a run in the top of the ninth inning against Luke, we- against Luke Weaver. You could basically say that's, wh- that's how we know who won the trade right then and there. That's how we know who won the trade because... Luke Weaver came in and gave up two earned runs, including one of them to Emmanuel Rivera, the guy he was traded for. So maybe that should be all the analysis you need. But nevertheless, I still got some numbers I want to run here with you, because if you just look at the raw traditional numbers, they definitely lean Rivera's (laughs) way. That was a tough phrase for me to say. They definitely lean Rivera's way right now. That's like a tongue twister. Rivera's way right now. And Rivera... With the D-back so far, 286 average, 998 OPS, four home runs, four doubles in 14 games, entering the game against the Kansas City Royals. So these were his numbers entering the game against the Kansas City Royals. And those are pretty good numbers. The slash line is pretty crazy. Obviously, it's going down with every game he plays because we did this. We brought up his numbers like three pods ago, and it was like a 330 average, like a 1250 OPS. Obviously, they're going down, but he's still been a very good slugger, extra-based power guy. For the D-back so far, and if you just want to compare that to the raw numbers, just the traditional numbers of Luke Weaver, 6-7-5 ERA, four earned runs and 5.1 innings pitch entering game one against the D-back, so now it's what, six earned runs in seven innings pitch, I think, for Luke Weaver, his ERA now, I can actually look it up on ESPN, 7-7-1 seven, seven, on the season. Um, so, yeah, Luke Weaver's ERA is going the opposite direction. It's probably an eight now um, with the Kansas City Royals because Rivera and Weaver, the numbers I just mentioned, were their, were their traditional numbers with their new teams, not overall in the season, just with their new team. So Luke Weaver coming into this game had a 6.75 ERA with his new team. That's probably like an 8.5 now or maybe even higher after giving up two earned runs and 1.2 innings pitched today. But let's actually dive a little bit deeper into the numbers and see how these players have changed since being acquired by their new teams? Because Emmanuel Rivera has improved in a, has improved in some areas. He has kept his strikeout percentage basically the same while doubling his walk percentage since coming over and. That's been kind of the vibe with this whole D-backs lineup right now. Like, everyone is just walking and not striking out. Like, I don't know what happened after the All-Star break, but they're like, let's just double our walk-to-strikeout ratio because you even look tonight, game one against the Royals, D-backs, nine walks to just four strikeouts. So it's a phenomenon that I like to see keep happening for the D-backs because if you're walking more than you're striking out, like, good things are just bound to happen for Rivera. is one of those guys walk percentage has doubled since coming over while strikeout percentage has stayed the same and maybe that's the case for most of these d players i have to look at it maybe they're not striking out less maybe they're just getting walks more that's an interesting uh nugget i have to go back and look at but his Babbitt. Batting average on balls in play has increased by 30 points since coming over to Arizona. He's also just improved a lot overall, and he's someone that had a pretty interesting profile when being acquired because he was struggling with the Kansas City Royals, and we haven't seen a ton of struggles so far with the D-backs, but one thing I do like about Manuel Rivera is he's a great fastball hitter, and I think to be a slugger like Rivera with the body frame he has, obviously... You don't want to struggle with off-speed pitches, but I think I care more about the fact that he locks in on fastballs because batting average against fastballs on this season, three oh three average with a six fifteen slugging. He absolutely crushes fastball. Yeah, the off-speed pitches, the breaking balls might get to him, but as long as you can crush the fastball as a middle of the lineup slugger, you're going to be able to survive in Major League Baseball. But look at Luke Weaver. A lot of his numbers have gone the other direction since being sent over to Kansas City because um, his season with the D-backs despite giving up a lot of runs it was actually one of his best seasons in terms of striking out folks and not allowing walks but that has not been the case since going to Kansas City he's striking out folks less and he's walking people more and don't let his FIP fool you because that FIP this season is absolutely elite. Luke Weaver entering game one had like a 288 year a 288 FIP on the season. And it's all anchored by the fact that with the D-Backs, he was actually pretty good at not allowing walks. Like, like I said, he was striking out people. He was not allowing he was basically Robbie Ray his last season um with the D-Backs. Luke Weaver was. Um both of them, their last season were very similar because both of them were basically through three true outcome guys. Strikeouts, walks. And home runs, or maybe I shouldn't say that because that's not true. Discredit that point I just made. Discredit. Just act like the last 30 seconds I said didn't count because Luke Weaver's not a three true outcome guy because he's actually just a one true outcome guy. He gets the strikeouts, but with the D-backs, he actually wasn't allowing walks, which is one reason why his FIP is so low. The other reason is he's only allowed one home run the whole season, so don't let the FIP fool you into thinking Luke Weaver's having a good season because it's really low. He's been pretty good at not allowing walks for most of the season, when he was with Arizona and he still has been elite at not allowing home runs that's why his FIP has been so good but guess what the dude still gets crushed with hits per nine and and slugging percentage like that still matters too so despite his FIP being good, Luke Weaver is still getting crushed um, by most metrics, because his BABIP, his batting average on balls in play, is still over 400, was over 400 with the D-backs, still over 400 with the Royals, I think his OPS allowed is like over 900, and he's not even starting games with the Royals, like, think about how sad that is for Luke Weaver, he was a starter um, most of his career, I mean, this season, the D-backs kind of transitioned him to the bullpen I thought maybe he would go back to being a starter with the Kansas City Royals but no that's not the case and if you look at his hard contact stats since being acquired by Kansas City they've gone way up like hard hit percentage above 40 exit velocity I think is around like 93 miles per hour like he is getting crushed at the plate right now and it is just not a pretty sight so when I look at this trade when I look at what happened in game one against the Kansas City Royals it's a no doubter Mike Hazen won this trade. It's probably, right now, very small sample size, but so far, one of the better trades Mike Hazen has made in his career, and I'm calling it a fleece. Now, that's it for this edition of the Lockdown Dimebacks podcast. Thank you to everyone who tuned into today's podcast. Come back tomorrow for more Dimebacks news coverage and insight. And as always... Thank you for making Locked on Dimebacks your first listen every day. Go make your second list of the day. Locked on MLB with my pal and your pal, silly Baseball, Walking Baseball Encyclopedia. Stay safe. Stay healthy. See you tomorrow. Deuces. That is not the outro.